Since if you're not in the habit of checking your mailboxes um, by the door as you come in or as you go out, please do so. And remember to do that throughout this season because people take advantage of the mailboxes that are back there to hand out Christmas cards rather than to send them through the mail. Um, so please uh, check your box before you go. And also, uh, before you go, on the table in the, ba- uh, in the foyer are gifts for everyone. Um, every year we make something and give it to you as a, uh, just a token of our appreciation and our love for you. Um, so this year's edition is on the table. Um, it looks like it's still covered up, which is a good thing. Um, so when we go back, we'll uncover it and you can help yourself. Please take one per family. Kids, if you think you're uh, the one who should take the, the gift, uh, pl- just do it with your mom and dad so they know that you've got one, uh, and we only have one going out per each family, because that's kind of what we, we, we don't make a lot of extra, um, so if you could do that, we'd appreciate that very much. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and get into our uh, time together in the Word this morning. Uh, let me confess right off the bat that you are not the first people to hear this message, Okay. They heard it last week at Faith, and they'll hear it next week at Bible. All right, this is the first time you've heard this message, though. Um, We are continuing in our theme of the ghosts of Christmas past. Um, And I have to confess, when I saw the title, the theme for this year's rotation, I was not all that excited about it. And I struggled with it a little bit. And um, in fact, I even wrote the other two pastors, and I said, look, uh, I'm not going to preach the message that was put forth or, or whatever. I just, I'm not a fan of it. And they said, don't worry about it. We don't always use the same things either. We kind of do whatever the Spirit lays upon our hearts. So um, this is, uh, we're sticking with the title that was given, but we're doing something a little bit different than perhaps the other pastors that have this title labels uh, will do in their Christmas rotation. So as we get started this morning, though, I want to ask you to think about the word label. As you think about it, what does the word label mean? I'm going to give you some definitions, uh, and we're also going to look at some pictures that kind of uh, remind us of what these labels might be. The first definition for a label is a slip of paper cloth, or other material marked or inscribed for attachment to something to indicate its manufacturer, its nature, its ownership, its destination. Now, here's the thing. Um, we kind of like certain labels. We become accustomed to them. We, we, we choose this label as opposed to this label, right? Here's the first illustration for you. Um, perhaps you're a fan of Coca-Cola. Um, not me, okay? Um, now, I do have to say, we really suffered when we lived in South Africa, okay? Because the only thing you could get was Coca-Cola, They didn't have Pepsi as a result of the sanctions that were imposed upon the country uh, years before we got there under the apartheid uh, setup. They, rather, other nations around the world uh, boycotted and and imposed sanctions. And so Pepsi pulled out of the country. So we really didn't get to enjoy Pepsi very much over in South Africa. So it was always Coke, all right? Because you didn't really buy the off-brand. It was just too bad, okay? So Coke was something that if you wanted to enjoy some cola flavor, you had to get the, well, you know what they call it, the real thing, okay? 
However, uh, towards the end of our time there in South Africa, they actually stepped up their game and they brought in what was a better drink, in my opinion, that being, of course, Pepsi. (coughs) It's the choice of the next generation, right? Okay, Um, I'm not, well, you'll see later on in the message that I am old, Um, but uh, I I much prefer Pepsi uh, over Coke. It has a better flavor, in my opinion, and if you do the blind taste test, you can actually tell the difference. It's really not that hard. Um, however, I will admit that I would much prefer cherry Coke than cherry Pepsi. But when you're talking about the original flavor, I'm all in for Pepsi, not for Coke. Anyway, we choose the label of the product or the brand that we like. There's uh, some other labels that we are familiar with and that we prefer over others, and their, their product is, we think, better than something else. Next picture, if you would, for us, Chloe. Many of you appreciate this label, okay? Um, You're a Chevy fan. You're a Chevy person, okay? Um, I like to stick with the original, not that I've ever, I, I guess we've owned one. When we first got married, the vehicle that we owned was a Ford, okay? So we prefer Ford over Chevy, even though we drive a Kia. But anyway, that's what we can afford. So, yeah. um, Ford versus Chevy. Some of you are Ford fans, uh, and so you adapt the Ford name and you say, first on race day, right? NASCAR seems to bear that out. Ford seems to finish on top more often than uh, the other companies. If you're not a Ford fan and you prefer Chevy, you choose the anacronym found on road dead, right? Um, But it's interesting that a lot of tow trucks are Fords and not Chevys for whatever reason. But anyway, um, Ford. My father and my uncle uh, were were Ford people. They worked at the Ford dealerships all their lives. And so um, it kind of came through to us as it was passed down. Ford, 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 Ford. Barb's brother now works at Ford. He's kind of high up in the company. And uh, so we, if we chose to buy a Ford, we would get some perks from that. But anyway, it's, it's, a, it's Pepsi or it's Ford, it's Coke or it's Chevy. Um, we identify the kind of uh, product we want to buy based on the label. There's uh, some other things that we might use labels for, or at least we are accustomed to using labels for them at the times in which we have grown up. The world in which we live has changed a little bit. Chloe, show us the next uh, set of labels. Okay, generally speaking, you will see these when you're out in public, right? You know what this means, right? The, the lady dressed up in the dress looking like a lady chooses to go into that particular room to do what she needs to do. The other label is a guy, he definitely looks like a man, got a top hat on, walking with a cane, just, you know, that's what guys look like. So you got your ladies' restroom, and you have your men's restroom. Um, <clears throat> as I said, times have changed, that's not so much the case. It wasn't that long ago, though, that my wife and I were traveling uh, on the interstate, and as is the case, more often than not, it's me that has to stop. Uh, to use the facilities. So we drove and drove and drove and drove. I I can't wait anymore. I got to go. So we pulled off the interstate at the rest stop, went in, and I was in really a a big hurry. And I went into the room and I began to look around and I thought, "Um, there's something missing in this room. You know, it's the thing that hangs on the wall that guys generally use. I didn't see a urinal. And I said, I need to get out of here. 
So I went out and I looked at the door and very small was a, lot, was a sign that said ladies room. Um, so fortunately there wasn't anybody else in there. But you know, I was in the wrong room because I didn't look for the right label. Labels are important. Um, we're going to throw another one up here. Some would say it's probably not quite as important. Ruthie's going to choose one side. Mark's going to choose the other side. I'm going to choose the same side as Ruthie. Carl's going to choose the same side as Mark. Okay, you figured it out, right? It's Mets or Yankees. Now, we're not going to talk a lot about that, but, but our loyalties are on the label, and we're saying, hey, you guys, you need to get the right players during the offseason. You need to, some people say you shouldn't have re-signed Judge. I probably would agree with them. But anyway, um, Mets are really trying again to build their team. They have this, this second-year owner and GM that are really trying to put together a team that might be able to win a World Series. They haven't done it uh, in a while, but don't despair because the Yankees haven't either. Anyway, we choose our teams based on their performance, and we recognize them based on the label or the logo that they wear. Now, you say, I'm not interested in sports. That's not me. Well, I've got some other labels for you. Ben will identify with the next set of labels, right? Okay, Microsoft, HP, Dell, Asus. You can pick whatever Microsoft operating system that you want to, and they all use the same system, and you are loyal to that. Um, some of us prefer another label or logo. Go ahead, Chloe. Yeah. Now, I must admit, I was on the other side for a long time, and then my son switched over. And I would call him and say, Josh, can you help me with this? And he'd say, no, Dad, I don't use that anymore. No, Dad, that's not what I use. If you want my help, you have to get an apple. So now I'm all in. I've got the iPad, I've got the MacBook, I've got the phone. Even Ben has an Apple phone, though, right? I've got the phone, I've got the watch. I mean, I'm all in. The only thing I don't have is the, the ear, iPod, 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 what do you call those things? Earbuds. Yeah, the earbuds, but whatever Apple calls, I don't have those. Okay, not yet anyway, but Christmas has come. No, just kidding. Um, so anyway... Um, I'm all in on Apple. And you know what? I choose Apple. And I talk to people, you know, you got to have an Apple. You got to have an Apple. You should own an Apple. It's the best system. Now, Ben's going to disagree with me. He's going to say, no ways. But we're, you know what? We can agree to disagree and we can both get the jobs done that we need to get done using the things that we choose to use. It's funny, last, su- last Sunday, I was preaching. I had my iPad set up and I, I touched something on my iPad and it did something it's never done before. And so I, I, I said, like I always say, Josh, fix it. <laughs> Fortunately, he was there. If that happened this morning, I might be in trouble. But anyway, we choose things based on their labels and based on what the label says they are able to do. Now, with the Christmas season upon us, there's another idea that comes to mind with the word label. On Christmas morning, we're all going to wake up wondering what we'll find under the tree, and of those things that are under the tree, which ones will have a label that bears our name? What's, what's my present? Or maybe you're on the other side, and you like to have lots of things under the tree that you've given to somebody else, from me to somebody else. But you know what? <clears throat> if we woke up on Sunday morning, 
and looked underneath the tree and there were lots of gifts under there but no labels, how confusing would that be? I don't know who this belongs to. Somebody open it up and find out. That's no fun, right? You want the one that says, to Barb from Tim or to Tim from... That's what you want to be able to identify what's, it, what's at least who it's to and then you can open it up and be able to enjoy what's inside the package. Labels are important. We have a pantry over in our, in our house in the pantry, we keep lots of canned goods, okay? If somebody snuck into our house, and I'm not giving you any ideas, okay? If somebody snuck into our house and removed all of the labels and put the cans back in a different spot than what they are right now, we'd be in trouble. We wouldn't know what's in the cans, right? For Thanksgiving, I made green bean casserole. Can you imagine what my green bean casserole, Colleen's like, yeah, it's because you haven't had mine. I don't use... I don't use cream of mushroom soup. That's disgusting. Okay? I use better soup when I make cream of, uh, green bean casseroles. Anyway, um, if, so, if I had reached into the cupboard and pulled out a, you know, a couple cans of corn and a couple cans of tomato soup and ramen noodles, how would my green bean casserole come out? It would, yeah, yuck. It wouldn't be green bean casserole, right? We need to have the labels. Labels help us navigate through life, okay? Uh, so we know labels are good things, but we also know that labels can be negative things, right? When we were raising our children, we didn't allow them to use the word stupid, okay? Because that's not a nice word. Why do you need to use that word? Only if you want to cause harm or, you know, somebody to feel bad, you would use that word. Not only is it not a nice word, but it's a label that when it's placed on someone can cause them great hurt, can cause them to doubt themselves. It can even cause despair. Now, just because someone doesn't know something that you might know, surely doesn't make that person uh, an uneducated individual. It just something that they're not interested in. You can ask Ben lots of questions about computers that he'll have answers to, and you can ask me, and I can only pretend to have answers to them. Yeah. That's why I say, Josh, fix it. Okay? Sometimes I even call Ben and say, Ben, it's not working. I did this last week. Uh, Ben, how do I get the sound to work on the sound system? It's a computer. He says, Pastor, you have to click the 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 little speaker at the bottom of the screen because they mute it so things don't come up playing during the sermon when we don't want them to come up playing, okay? So you call and you ask, okay? So it's important to have things labeled. If that little icon wasn't at the bottom, I wouldn't have known what to click. But because it's there, Ben said, go click that button and it'll, it'll fix your problem, okay? Now, we think about labels. Labels are words. Words have the power to hurt. Words have the power to break down and tear up and, and, and just cause great difficulty in one's life. They also have the opposite op- uh, uh, possibility as well. Listen to the words of this song uh, by Hawk Nelson. It's a, it's a very good song. I used to listen to it all the time. And as I was preparing it, this message, this song popped into my mind. So I wanted to share the words with you. They've made words. They've made me feel like a prisoner. They've made me feel set free. They've made me feel like a criminal, made me feel like a king. Now, you can substitute words for labels here, okay? They've lifted my heart to places I'd never been, 
and they've dragged me back down to where I began. Words can build you up, words can break you down, start a fire in your heart or put it out. Let my words be life. Let my words be truth. I don't want to say a word unless it points the world back to you. You can heal the heartache, speak over fear. God, your voice is the only thing we need to hear. Let my words or my labels be the sound of your grace. I don't want to say a word unless it points the world back to you. I want to speak your love, not just another noise. Oh, I want to be your light. I want to be your voice. Let my words be life. Let my words be truth. I don't want to say a word unless it points the world back to you. May the labels that we place on people be labels that will help them see their need of Christ or grow in their relationship with Christ. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time as we open God's word this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the instruction that we find in your word. We know, Father, that your word is truth. Your word brings life. Your word brings light. And Father, when we read your word and we study your word and we learn from your word and we apply it to our lives, we become better followers of Jesus. We become better, represent, better representatives of you in the world you have placed us. So help us learn from our time together this morning the right way to use labels and how to respond if a label is placed on us that is not a label that is honoring and, and um, helpful. Father, help us to learn from our time together in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we open our Bibles this morning, uh, we're going to take a look at some of the characters of Christmas. We, we look at characters of Christmas often this time of year, right? Because we learn from them. There's so much that we can put into practice in our lives as we study the lives of these characters. So let's see how we can learn from them in relationship to labels or perceived labels, if you will. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to find our text this morning, at least part of it. Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> Excuse me, starting with verse 8. Um, and what we see here is that the shepherds, the, the first people that God announced the birth of Jesus to, the shepherds were lowly and unappreciated. Lowly and unappreciated. Ever felt that way in life? Ever felt unappreciated? Ever felt like somebody put you down and made you low uh, in, in relation to other people? The shepherds felt that way, I'm sure, at this time in history. Now, by the time Jesus takes on flesh, shepherds have been around for a long time. The first mention of shepherds in the Bible is way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verse 2, where we read, and again, she, Eve, bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a what? A keeper of the sheep or a shepherd, and Cain was a worker of the ground. Now, not because Abel was a shepherd did he make the right sacrifice to God, even though it was a sheep and sheep became uh, at some point the accepted sacrifice to God. But Abel had a mindset that was pleasing to God. And maybe he had learned from his sheep because uh, the Bible often compares humans to sheep. And by the way, that's not a flattering comparison. Okay, um, But shepherds learn that sheep need great care. They need the attention of 
the shepherd all the time. David speaks of it in Psalm 23. We talked about that a, a couple of months ago in our message on, on the great shepherd. So uh, Abel was the first shepherd, if you will. And we learned some things from this guy. Abraham and his family kept sheep. Ben brought this up last Sunday night in our study uh, in the adult Sunday school class, how they were shepherds, they were keeper of the sheep. And when, um, when they got into a situation where they had to leave their dwelling and move to Egypt because of the famine in the land, we learned the attitude uh, towards shepherds in the world at that time. Um, the, the, the Egyptians didn't like shepherds. In fact, they despised shepherds. Um, in Genesis chapter 46, Abraham's descendants, the children of Jacob, who was also a shepherd, by the way, um, we find this. And the men, J- Joseph is saying, this is what you tell Pharaoh. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds, and they have come to Egypt. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. They didn't even get to live in the same part of the, of the town because they were shepherds. Many others in the Old Testament were also shepherds. A shepherd boy became king of Israel. Even some of the prophets were shepherds. But when we get to the time of the birth of Jesus, being a shepherd was not looked upon highly. Shepherds were not considered worthy people to be part of even the fellowship of God. Listen to what Bill Sisma says. He says, in ancient Israel, shepherds were generally considered unclean in the community of God's people because of the work they did. They were, daily, they were in daily contact with dirty, smelly sheep, their manure, their blood from cuts and scrapes, and the insects that buzzed around them. All of this meant that shepherds were almost never clean enough to worship with God's people in God's presence. So they were generally treated as outsiders. I never thought of that about shepherds until I was studying for this message. Never thought that they were unable to worship God. But how unique is it that God invited them to be the first worshipers of Jesus? No matter that the world thought that they were lowly and that the world didn't appreciate them, God didn't care. Luke's gospel in chapter 2, verses 8 through 18, speak about these shepherds that were simply out in the field keeping watch over their flock. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and, and we understand that they are doing what God had called them to do at that point in time. We're not going to read that whole passage, but let me just read verse 8 to you. It says this, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Did you catch the label for the shepherds? They were most likely unappreciated. They were not looked highly upon. For here's, here's the truth. God doesn't care how society views you. God does not care what the world thinks about you. 
Isn't that a blessed thought to take home with you today? The world often looks at us and says, there goes a loser. There goes somebody who doesn't have it all together. There goes somebody, they have to depend on Christianity. You know, a lot of people think of Christianity as a crutch. You really need that crutch to get, it, get through life. Um, I love, um, there's a, a couple of guys, Home Shepherd and Johnson, they sing a song that uh, talks about the fact that Christ, Christianity isn't a crutch. It's actually a stretcher because you can't limp into heaven without God. We, we need Jesus Christ. We need the gospel. We need the message of Christmas. We need the message of Christ to make it possible for us to gain access into heaven for all of eternity as the children of God. The world doesn't necessarily like Christians. And we're seeing that more and more in the world in which we live. They do not appreciate what we stand for. They do not appreciate what we believe. When we take a stand for what the Bible teaches as true and right, we're often ridiculed for it. We're often mocked for it. We're often put down because of it. But you know what? That doesn't matter. We need to stick to what is true and stick to what is right. As you go about living your Christian life, maybe even in your home or in your workplace, in your neighborhood, people may or may not appreciate who you are and what you stand for. But can I encourage you to do this? Continue to stand. Continue to put the Lord first in your life and let others know who you stand for and what you stand for. Christians are less and less appreciated in the world in which we live. And and by the way, that should not surprise us, right? Because Jesus himself said that the world will hate us. He said, if the world hates you, don't feel bad about it, because before they hated you, they hated Jesus. So we shouldn't be surprised by the fact that the world doesn't necessarily like what we stand for. But think about this with me for a minute. The probably unappreciated shepherds, those who are not considered worthy to worship God at any given moment, probably more because of their pharisaical parts of the law, that prevented them from worshiping? Because I don't think in God's plan he ever wanted to prohibit, prohibit the shepherds from worshiping. It's what the Pharisees made the law into that prevented the shepherds from worshiping. And that's so often the case. It's not what God says, it's what man says God says that causes problems. We want to make sure that we are following exactly what God says. But isn't it interesting that God called these unacceptable and unappreciated individuals to be the first worshipers of the baby. That says a lot. That's amazing. God, here's some things to think about. God sent an angel to invite the shepherds and to tell the shepherds about the birth of Jesus. We read it this way. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. These shepherds that were sitting on the hillside, the glory of the Lord appeared to them and it shone all around them. God sent that angel to invite them to worship. God told the shepherds the purpose of Jesus' birth. He said this, the angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The shepherds were the first, other than Mary and Joseph, to know that Jesus came to save. 
We learn when Jesus, the birth of Jesus was announced to Mary, um, that Mary was told, you shall name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph was told the same thing. She shall bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The shepherds got the, the first information about what Jesus was going to do in this world. Save his people from their sins. Now, just for a moment, talk about this with me, if you will. Who are his people? Who are Jesus' people? Well, you and I, who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are his people. All that the Father... Jesus talked about who the people that were that he came to this world for. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You see, his people, Jesus' people, are all the ones that the Father has given him, and they will see him and believe in him and have everlasting life and experience the resurrection if they die before the rapture. And if they don't die and the rapture happens, they get caught up to be with him in the air and forever shall be with the Lord. That's who his people are. You and I, who have put our faith and trust in the work of Christ on Calvary, are the people of God, are his people. Here's the last thing that God did for the shepherds to prove how serious this situation is. God sent a heavenly choir to convince them and confirm the truth of what the angel had said. Here they are, they're sitting in the fields, they're taking care of their sheep, they're minding their own business, and first of all, an angel comes to them. Not a very common appearance, even in those days. An angel comes and says, hey, I have a message for you. What'd you put in that coffee? It wasn't the normal thing for them to have happen to them sitting out on the fields taking care of their sheep. And if they were doubting, joining this one angel is a multitude of angels, a whole heavenly choir. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace, goodwill towards men. Wow. We've never seen, we've never heard anything quite like that. That's pretty amazing that God would send this whole choir to the angels. Can you imagine what must have been running through the minds of these shepherds? Probably not. We probably can't really imagine what was going through their minds. But we know what they did, because scripture tells us, it says, and they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They couldn't stop talking about it. They were excited that God invited them to meet the baby, that God invited them to worship the Christ child, that God sent a choir to convince them that this was all true and and, and authentic, and they couldn't stop telling everybody they met about Jesus, the baby, in a manger. 
They didn't care what the world thought of them. They didn't care what society thought of them. They didn't care that they were lowly and unappreciated because they knew that God loves them. So if you're here this morning and you're feeling a little unappreciated, can I tell you this? God loves you. God cares for you. God wants you to actively worship him. God has good news for you. There's another pair of individuals that we meet, this time a little bit earlier in Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 7. The guy's name is Zechariah. His wife's name is Elizabeth. Here's the label we're putting on them. They were old and unfruitful. (laughs) How would you like that for a label? Oh, here comes the old man and and his wife, and they can't have babies. She's barren. They're unfruitful. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I went up to Messina for my uh, picked up my nephew at the airport, and we went up, uh, drove through the snowstorm, went to celebrate my brother and his wife's 40th anniversary. We got there, and even before I left, I realized, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm taking a chance going up there. I may not be able to get back home, so I talked to the deacons, and we agreed we would arrange for Isaiah to come and speak in my ab- my perceived absence, my potential absence. Well, it worked out that I couldn't get back, so I went to church at my the church I grew up in. Okay, Pastor Lucid is the pastor there, uh, and like I said, I picked up my nephew Stephen, who's also a pastor at a church down in Florida. He's an assistant pastor down there. Um, and so we're sitting in the service on Sunday morning, and Pastor Lucid makes this announcement. He says, I need to tell you folks something. Uh, we, have, we have two Pastor Mowerses with us in our service this morning. We have the old Pastor Mowers, and we have the young Pastor Mowers. And, and when he said that, I'm like, hold on. I'm not really that old. In fact, Pastor Lucid is about 10 years older than I am. And yeah, he's the old Pastor Mowers and the young Pastor Mowers. And I was just trying to work through my mind, what does that really mean? I, I don't know that I've ever been called, in jest, yes. And I know that Pastor Lucid was, was in jest. But never really dawned on me the old Pastor Mowers. I wasn't sure how to process being called old, especially from the pulpit. But anyway, um, and I just, I just kind of like... Hmm, interesting. Um, old. When you're called old in a negative context, that's not necessarily a nice thing to be called. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 7. It says, but they, were, but they had, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren or unfruitful, and they both were well advanced in years. In other words, they were old. Now, can I tell you, sometimes when I wake up, or sometimes even before I go to bed, I feel old, okay? And you, some of you are saying, you're not very old, Pastor. Well, I'm getting up there. I'm catching up, okay? Um, I used to think, no, nah, I'm not very old. But I, I don't look for the, like, like Josiah will say to me, Grandpa, let's go out on the trampoline. And Grandpa says, no, why don't you go out on the trampoline and Grandpa will watch you on the trampoline. But Grandpa, come on the trampoline. No, you go on the trampoline. But why not, Grandpa? Why don't you come? Because Grandpa's old. 
I mean, that's okay for me to call me old, but for somebody else to call me old, I'm not sure about that yet. And, and so Josiah will go out and he'll get on the trampoline and he'll jump. And I was okay with that until I saw Josiah's other grandpa get on the trampoline. And I thought, well, maybe I should get on the trampoline, but my wife doesn't think I should get on the trampoline. Anyway, um, jo- uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were old. Okay, they were old. But more than being old, they were unfruitful. The Bible describes them as barren. Often in the Bible, we see that a woman who was barren was looked down upon by her peers. There's this lady named Hannah. She was the mother eventually of a guy named Samuel. This is what the Bible says about Hannah. And her rival, Hannah's rival, also provoked Hannah severely to make Hannah miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that her rival provoked Hannah Therefore, she wept, Hannah wept, and did not eat. Being barren was not something that was pleasant, especially in those days. Perhaps the most famous barren woman in Scripture is the matriarch of Israel. Her name is Sarah or Sarai. She eventually gave birth to Isaac, the chosen one that God would bless the nations through. There's a couple of other barren women mentioned in the pages of Scripture. Rebecca, Isaac's wife, was barren until she gave birth to Esau and Jacob in her old age. The thing to remember here is, see, old people aren't always to be looked down upon. God said, the older, Esau, shall serve the younger. You know the story of Jacob and Esau and how Jacob known as the deceiver, was younger than Esau, but Jacob, by God's the sovereign plan, became the chosen child through whom the line of promise would come. You see, even though she was old and barren, God used her to have a child who would bless not just her family, but all the nations of the world would be blessed through this old woman's child. Jacob's wife, Rachel, kind of ran in the family. Jacob's wife, Rachel, was old when she gave birth to her firstborn, Jacob's favorite son, Joseph. Jacob had two wives. Leah had several children, but Rachel was barren until the birth of Joseph and then Benjamin. During the birth of Benjamin, she died. So another famous child was born to this old barren woman, the child Joseph, who became the one who saved the nation of Israel by bringing them down and providing food for them during this severe famine. Another mother and son duo for you that's quite probably not as famous. You might not know the name of the mom. In fact, I know you don't know the name of the mom because the Bible doesn't tell us what her name is. Listen to how it describes her though. There was a certain man of Zorah, does that help you? Of the tribe of the Danites, does that help you? Whose name was Manoah. Okay, so his, her husband's name was Manoah. You figure it out yet? And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman, still doesn't give us her name, and said to her, behold, you are barren. Like I didn't know. Captain Obvious, right? Okay. Um, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And the woman bore a son and called his name. Anybody want to tell me the name? 
Yeah, Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. So you see, mom was not so famous, but the son was. That's the pattern kind of of all these old and barren women. They gave birth to famous children who God used in mighty ways. Who cares what the world says about you when God is in control? The last one, we've already talked about her, Elkanah. Elkanah's wife, Samuel, and Hannah's rival used to provoke her, used to make fun of her, used to pick on her mercilessly. What happened with Hannah? She gave birth to Samuel. Samuel went on to be a high priest and a judge and a prophet in the land of Israel. The sixth woman mentioned in Scripture is, of course, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and we know who Elizabeth gave birth to, right? His name is John the Baptist, the one who was going to be the forerunner of Jesus, the one who was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. All six of these couples had the same label in common. According to the world standard, according to what man said about them, they were old and they were unfruitful. But remember, God's plan for us isn't controlled by our current status. God's plan for us is not controlled by our current status. These women were too old to have children. They had not had children, but God gave them children. His plan changed the world. Not just their world, but the world. (coughs) Remember this. God's plan is completely under God's control. Nothing can change his plan for us. There's a verse in the pages of scripture that we know, and we've probably committed it to memory. Um, and we, we love this verse. It's found in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28. You know what it says, right? If you know it, say it with me. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And oftentimes we stop there. Because that verse makes us feel good. And we know that all things work together for good. Okay, God, what's the good in this? I fell down and I broke my ankle. What's the good in my broken ankle? It's not quite what he's talking about. Okay? He goes on to tell us in verse 29 what the good is. He says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined, here's the good, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, and it only gets better from there, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. You see, my friends, that is God's plan for you if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. God wants you to become like His Son, Jesus Christ. God's plan for you is that you become like Jesus. And look at verse 30. I love what verse 30 says, because it's all in the past tense. He predestined us. He conformed us to the image of His Son. He called us. And I'm so glad he did because none of us would have come if he didn't call us. He justified us. Oh, man. That means nobody can take that away from me. 
I've been declared right in God's eyes. I've been justified. And then he says, these he's also glorified. You know what that means? Someday, someday, you and I are going to be like Jesus. Praise the Lord. Well, let's look at the last label as we wrap things up this morning. You'll know this label. His name is Jesus. And the label that we're going to put on him is the ultimate Savior. Scott, you'll identify with this. When I was growing up, I used to watch the WWF, I think it was. I don't know if it was WWF or WWE, whichever it was. It was back in those days. Yeah, you you know it was all fake, right? And it wasn't so bad. It wasn't as vulgar as it is today. Not that I watch it very often today. I don't. Um, I used to watch it growing up, and there was this one guy. He was called the Ultimate Warrior. For a period of time, he was my favorite wrestler because he was the ultimate warrior. And, And you know what? Based on the WWF, he always won because he was the ultimate warrior. Jesus is the ultimate savior in reality, not in fantasy land. In reality, Jesus is the ultimate savior. We read this in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. You've heard me quote it for you many times. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus fulfills his purpose in coming to the earth. When the angel announced the birth of Jesus to both Mary and Joseph, the angel gave the purpose of Jesus' incarnation. In Matthew 1.21, the angel of the Lord told Joseph that the baby that had been conceived inside of Mary's womb would save his people from their sins. Jesus was told to name the baby Jesus. We've already read that passage of scripture. You call his name Jesus because why? He will save his people from their sins. The announcement to Mary went like this. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, we could say ultimate, and he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, there will be no end. He is the ultimate one. He is the son of God. This morning we're talking about labels. Perhaps there's no better way to think of a label than to think of the name. You see, Jesus had a name. We sing, hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings us hope. Jesus is the one who brings us the ultimate victory over death and over sin. Gotquestions.org, you know I like that website, says this about the name of Jesus. If ever a name was packed with significance, it's the name Jesus. Scripture says Jesus has been given the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The name of Jesus is important because of its meaning and because of whom it represents. It's like the labels. 
There is power and authority in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And of course, the person is designated by the name. And more so than with any other names, we associate the name of Jesus with his distinctive character, quality, and work. Now let's think about those things for a moment. His character, his quality, and his work. What has Jesus done? What has the ultimate Savior done for mankind? First of all, he has provided for salvation. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is in the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, we read and understand that forgiveness of sins is received through the name of Jesus. There is no other way to be forgiven of your sins other than the name of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28 and verse 19. Some of you may want to pay special attention to this, okay? Uh, It's a little hint for you. You see, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, we find out that believers are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've not yet been baptized, can I ask you this question? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? It's a command from God to be baptized, to be obedient, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He wants you to be baptized. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Say, oh, I'm not sure I'm old enough. The Bible tells us that households got saved and baptized. If you're here this morning and you have not yet been baptized, you are more than welcome to speak to one of the deacons or to me, and we'll help you get you on the path to being baptized as a child of God. We find out in Acts chapter 3, verse 16, healing and miracles were performed, how? In the name of Jesus. Jesus' name. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Jesus teaches believers to pray in his name. That is to pray in his authority. He, He says we pray to the Father and he says we pray in Ask these things in my name, and the Father will do what? Will give it to you. In every way, Jesus lives up to his name. The name Jesus reminds us of his power, his presence, and his purpose in being the risen Christ. It assures us that God's gracious intention is to save us. By his very name, he is our Savior. Our Lord Jesus brought God to humanity and now brings humans to God through the salvation he has purchased through his shed blood and his death on the cross of Calvary. You see, my friends, it's clear that Jesus is indeed the ultimate Savior. No other person, no other thing, no other entity, no other force can do what Jesus does. He is the only one. So this Christmas season, uh, we are as we're out looking at labels and we want to purchase gifts to put labels on um, and to give those to the ones that we love, as you look at the labels, know this, you'll find no other gift that can take the lowly and the unappreciated and give them eternal value by placing them in the family of God. There is no other gift that can take the old and the unfruitful and make them a new creation in Christ and cause them to bear fruit that will not just last for the here and now, but will last throughout eternity. 
As we start this Christmas season, let's let these words from Josh Wilson help set the tone for the season that is before us. Jesus is alive. Wish I was there on that silent night when your tiny heart started beating for mine. Jesus' heart was beating for mine in that cradle in Bethlehem. The song goes on to say, I wish I could have seen the star in David's town when you turned a stable into a holy ground. I sing along the angel's song. Noel, Noel, Jesus is alive. Emmanuel, hope is here tonight. So go and tell the world that death has died because Jesus is alive. Yes, Jesus is alive. The God who made us, made us all with these two little hands is bringing us his kingdom quiet as a lamb. Oh, such amazing grace, a divine conspiracy. This savior in a manger changes everything. That's why we sing, Noel, Noel, Jesus is alive. Emmanuel, hope is here tonight. So go and tell the world that death has died because Jesus is alive. Sin, you have no sting. Hell, you have no power. Jesus is alive. Curse, you have no more. You are no more. This is your final hour because the Son of God has not left us alone. Jesus is alive. He'll live and die and rise again and then he'll bring us home. Jesus is alive. The old will pass away and we will become new. Jesus is alive. And I love the last line of the song. This baby boy is making all sad things untrue. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Jesus, the Son of God. That label that makes so much of a difference. The gift of Jesus, the ultimate Savior, is the perfect gift to give at Christmas time or any other time of the year. So let's always think about the fact that the label Jesus, the name Jesus, the person Jesus has undone whatever labels man has put on us. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you so much for your blessings in our lives. And the greatest blessing that you have given to us is sending your Son to this earth, to this world, to take on flesh, to be born as a babe, to start his life in a manger, and then to go to the cross and to die in our place. Thank you so much, Father, for that amazing gift that we could never, ever repay you for. And Father, so as we think about the fact that Jesus is alive, Jesus is our Savior, help us to be individuals who will tell others this Christmas season about our Savior who went to the cross, defeated death, defeated the grave, defeated Satan, and who is alive and wants to be their Savior too. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.